My Jesus, you are so beautiful. Your love is beautiful. The expression of that love is beautiful. Lord Jesus, your heart and your mind are beautiful. We are in awe of you, Lord Jesus. We gather in this house and just for this moment to acknowledge that and proclaim that. We worship you in your beauty, in your majesty, in your glory, in your love. We worship you. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray that. Amen. And the Lord Jesus is so beautiful. I, I, I'm not I'm amazed by that. What's more amazing is that we're beautiful. Because of His work, because of what He's done, He has made us beautiful in the eyes of His Father. Well, that's about the best news there is, isn't there? We've been made beautiful by the Lord Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, uh, the Scripture actually says we are new and improved. We weren't always beautiful. Uh, We weren't born that way, but we have an opportunity in Christ to be new and improved. You remember that old marketing slogan, don't you? You you see that in commercials and you see it stamped on products. It's new and improved. Well, I was studying my passage this week and getting prepared for today. Of course, I was out of town with the youth and so didn't quite get to prepare the way I was hoping to. A lot of this was being pushed to the end. And, and so, but I had this idea that what I was going to do was go to Walmart and I was going to count all of the products I could find that were new and improved. I was going to go up and down the aisles looking for these products. And then I was maybe even going to buy a couple and come in here and and set them out and talk about being new and improved. You know, is it just a sign on the front of the box or is it real? Because, you know, while they may have done something to the product that technically makes it new, and, and while they might have run some tests that say it's improved, You know, come on, good luck noticing the difference sometimes between the old product and the new and improved product. And so I was going to do a little science project here and prove that. But I went to Walmart and and I couldn't find anything new and improved. So everything just kind of fell apart. So we'll just close in prayer and... And go home today. No, you know, you think, golly, it's a place that big. I ought to be able to find... And I'm not saying I didn't miss something... But I didn't find a single thing that had a, you know, that was stamped new and improved. You know, so I'm thinking maybe the marketers caught up with the idea that we know it wasn't new and improved. We know there was no real big difference. And they've maybe, I guess, I don't know, they've stopped using that as a, uh, a stamp on the cover of their product. Now, here's the thing. And here's where I was hoping to try to go with this. I wonder if the same is true of us. Is our being new and improved just a gimmick? Now, on one part of that, I say, no, I know it's not a gimmick. Because the Scripture is what commutes, communicates that when you and I come to Christ, we are new and improved. There's a passage of Scripture pretty well known for communicating this idea in 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. The old things, man, the old product, the old product that didn't quite work, the old product that got messed up, that thing is gone. Throw it away. You are a new person. You are a new person in Christ Jesus. So it is a fact. 
You have been labeled as a believer new and improved. It's right there in invisible spiritual ink on your forehead. You are new and improved. But can we notice any real difference? Is there a difference between the new and the old? Would you look with me this morning in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, I hope you'll grab one there in the pew and read along with me and keep it open as we work through this passage. We've been now for, gosh, I guess three, four months we've been in this letter that Paul wrote to the city of Ephesus, to the church there in Ephesus. And we now arrive at Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to look at verse 17. Let's see what it says here. Therefore, I say this and I testify in the Lord. You should no longer walk as the Gentiles walk. Now, that's kind of funny that he uses that phrase. We've spent a lot of weeks in chapter 2 and 3 where Paul was saying we're no longer Jews. We're no longer Gentiles. We don't break up into these subgroups anymore. We are one. We're unified in Christ. That's our new identity. It's our identity as a body and it's our new identity as individuals. And now he's referring again to Gentiles. But notice as I read this passage, he's not referring to them the Gentiles was synonymous, is synonymous here with pagans, with unbelievers. And he's not referring to them as unbelievers. Notice as I read this, all the them and the there and the they. He's talking about people outside the body of Christ. He's talking about people who are not believers. And what he's saying is, we can't live like that. Now let's start over with that understanding. You should no longer walk as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their thoughts. They are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. They became callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. But that's not how you learned about the Messiah. Assuming you heard him and were taught by him because the truth is in Jesus. You took off your former way of life, the old man that is corrupted by deceitful desires, and you are being renewed in the spirit of your minds. You put on the new man, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of truth. In righteousness, that's the new man, in righteousness and purity of truth. As I said, we've been studying Ephesus now for a number of weeks and, and we've been looking at the whole. We've been looking at the body. We, we saw how God brings us together in this new group called the church, the, the body of followers of Jesus Christ. We're the body of Christ. And so we started in chapter 1 and up to about the middle of chapter 2, the focus was on the individual on the individual, God's love and what God's love had done in your life and how much God personally, individually loves you. Then as we got about the middle of chapter 2 to 3, we began to see what He did then with this individual that He had loved so much. He put us in this body. And then as we came into chapter 4, we began looking again at the individual. 
And we began to see how do we respond to somebody who has loved us so much. And in chapter 4, verse 1, we saw again a focus on the body as an individual. I respond to who God is. I respond to what God has done for me by diligently keeping the unity. I play a role in this body we call the church. And now in verse 17, he's talking about how I live inside this body, how I live in this world. And here again is another point of how I respond worthy to what God has done for me. And I walk in holiness. I don't walk like I used to walk. I mean, what Paul is very simply saying here is in verses 17 to 19 is you can't live like someone who doesn't know God. You can't live like someone who doesn't know his truth. That ought to be obvious, shouldn't it? But we struggle with that. We, we tend to kind of go back and forth sometimes. And Paul's saying that's not a worthy response. A walk in holiness is what is a worthy response. Now, let's understand this a little bit more here. He says in verse 17, You should no longer walk as the Gentiles walk in the futility of... Of their thoughts. It may say in the futility of their mind. That word futility, you probably know what that means. It means to to give effort at something, but it doesn't produce anything. You can do everything you're supposed to do, but it's just not going to work. You you can do everything you're supposed to do, but it's not going to produce. It's futile. All your efforts are futile. Well, here he's referring about a futility of thought, a futility of mind. And what's the idea there? My mind outside of Christ, my mind is not going to think like God. My mind is not going to become like God. My mind is not going to live in a way that is worthy of God. Now, we didn't start off that way. Matter of fact, you and I were created in the image of God. We were created with a mind that was designed to hear God. That was designed to be able to understand His revelation, to understand His communication. We were created with a mind that would naturally respond in a way that is worthy of who He is. That's how we were designed. That's how we were created. But then sin entered. We chose sin over God and our our whole being, our mind became handicapped. It, it became corrupt. It would no longer receive and understand the revelation and the communication of God. And now, instead of our mind rising up and thinking and responding like God would, you know what has happened? Our mind has sunk. We, we, we are no longer acting like we were created in the image of God. Now, we're acting like animals. We're absorbed with self. That's what an animal does. An animal's every move, every decision is driven not by a mind created for God. Its decisions are created by the gut. It's by instinct. They do what they feel in that moment. And we were created with a mind to think and respond morally like God. Now we act like animals. What will make me happy? What will get me what I want? What will get me out of this mess? And we just respond to the moment with no thought to the future. As a matter of fact, and I, I don't think I have a, a, a pessimistic view of mankind. But I believe that the most selfless person outside of Christ, the most selfless person is selfish. It's not in us to do something selfless. You might see somebody like a, a Warren Buffett get billions and billions of dollars. 
totally selfish. He's doing what he believes will give him worth. What will give him approval, whether it's approval before man or or if there's some kind of angry God out there that he's supposed to stand before one day. Everything we do is for self. It may be very selfless. It may look like a very sacrificial act. But in the end, we're hoping that comes around to make us happy, to make us look good, to give us what we need. We are selfish. We respond in the moment what is good for us. And Paul's saying, man, if you think about what we've learned so far you've got access to God you've got Jesus living in you and to go back now he's referring to believers to go back and keep living that way that's not worthy of your God to live for the moment to live for self is not worthy of God that is an empty that is a futile that's a futile life life outside of Christ is empty and that's not what we learned about Jesus I love that phrase there in verse 20. But that is not how you learned about the Messiah. You know, we've probably got all different levels in here of what we know about the Messiah. Some maybe just have a few basic working facts and and others may have a whole bunch. And then there'd be a lot of us just kind of in between there. But when it's this phrase, what you've learned about the Messiah, you know, if you think about that, if you know nothing but the gospel, You've not picked up a Bible. You've never been in a sermon. You've never been in a Bible study. You know almost nothing about Jesus, but you have learned the gospel. You've learned some simple pieces of his life that led him to the cross. And you've learned what he accomplished for you there at the cross. That's all you know. What do you know about Jesus? You know he lived for others. You know He served. You know He gave. Well, if I don't know anything else but that, and I proclaim to be a follower of Christ, then what should my life be like? Shouldn't it be a life of giving? A life of serving? A life of living for others? Remember, I'm following Christ. What does following mean? It means I'm in step with what He's doing. I'm in step with where He's going. I'm imitating His life. That's what I've learned about Christ. If we are to follow Him, we are to look like Him. problem is we have gained an idea of following Christ that never actually shows up anywhere as following. We will call ourselves Christians. We'll call ourselves followers of Christ. But where in any given day am I thinking about, am I following Christ? Am I doing what He would do in this moment? You know, we can kind of carry this little phrase here in verse 20. We can carry that around with us. Learned Christ. You know, that little phrase ought to be a guide throughout every day. Ought to be a guide through my entire week. I I ought to be able to walk out of a meeting. And say, man, did the way I handle myself, did the way I talk in that meeting, did that show what I've learned about Christ? Has the way I've treated my mate this weekend, is that representative of what I know, of what I've learned about Jesus? Does the way I make decisions... Does that show what I know about Jesus? Does the way I handle my finances from giving to saving to spending, does it show what I've learned about Jesus? You see, we ought to be able to carry this phrase all through our lives and look at every different aspect. And it should be up. If I'm following, it should show up that it's representative of what I've learned about Christ. I mean, folks, make no mistake here. Paul's trying to get in our face. 
It's uncomfortable. I mean, basically what he's saying is if you are calling yourself a follower of Christ, it ought to show up somewhere. It ought to be clear in the different areas of your life that that's who you're following. There ought to be a new and improved life. Now, is Paul talking about being perfect here? I don't believe so. I don't believe this is an issue that I ask Jesus to be my Savior and Lord. And then from there on out, man, I am lock and step with Him. I never miss it. No, I mean, we know the reality. We, we, we do stutter. We, we do get out of step. We do get off the path. I don't think Paul's talking about perfection, but i tell you what I do think he's talking about. I think he's talking about a progression toward perfection. I, I, I mean, if I'm following him... Shouldn't I be a little bit closer in step more today than I was this time last year? If I am a follower of Christ, shouldn't more and more and more pieces of my life represent that today more than they did, say, three years ago? Absolutely. Absolutely. There is to be growth. There is to be movement. So more and more of my life shows what I've learned about Christ. Shows that I'm following Him. Well, what do we need to do? How, how does that process happen? Well, Paul goes on to talk about that. And I, I don't know as much as he's saying, here's how the process happens. I think he's bringing out what a hindrance is. And he talks here... In verse 22 to 24, he talks about taking off the old and putting on the new. It's, it's an illustration, really, of clothing. Taking off old, worthless, ratty clothing and, and putting on the new clothing that's been provided for us. Now, the problem with this illustration is we're Americans. And we generally don't have old, worthless clothing. Our, our clothing just gets faded because we wash it so much and it gets out of style and... Every now and then it gets too small, but that's another story. And so our clothing just moves from the front of the closet to the back of the closet to, to goodwill. But you know what? A lot of the world, and certainly this culture that Paul's writing to, they didn't have closets. There's no need for closets. I got what I'm wearing. That's it. Imagine some of you, if you've done much traveling overseas, you've been places where, where people have, I've seen this, where a man has, he has a pair of pants and, and two, maybe three shirts. One pair of shoes. And in that culture, that wasn't a person of poverty. That's just all they had. And they wear that clothing until it is worthless. I mean, it stinks so bad you can't wash the stink out. It's got holes. It's torn. It is worthless. And so you come to that point where you recognize, man, this is awful. And you take it off. You shed it. You throw it away. And you put on your new clothing. Again, this is hard for us to understand. But if you can imagine it, having a piece of clothing you just want to get off and throw straight in the garbage, it is worthless. That's what Paul's describing about our life. There is this old person driven by self, filthy, Filthy with lust, filthy with lies, filthy with, with arrogance, filthy with, with meanness, filthy with greed. And it's, it's just gross. It's time to get it off. And God has provided for us some brand new clothing. He says here, that last verse, it's clothing that makes me look just like God. Imagine this. I put on this new man. I put on this new clothing. And I am righteous. I, I am pure. 
There is a God-likeness now in what God has provided for me in this new man. But would you believe that after having been provided that, that's the part, by the way, that makes us new and improved. That after putting on this new clothing provided for me at the cross, do you know that I, I travel back over here sometimes and I pick up all that nasty clothing and I put it back on? Why, why would we do that? Why would somebody put on clothing that is stained and torn and stinks when we have this, this new clothing over here? And what Paul's saying is, man, that's not right. That, that's not right. That's not worthy of what has been done for you. Man, we need to shed this stuff and be proud and excited to wear this new man, this new and improved life, this new clothing that's been provided for me. Now, what we're going to do, really, gosh, for about the next two months, I think, to remember my schedule here. But basically from chapter 4, verse 25, all the way to about chapter 6, verse 9, what Paul's going to do is he's going to make a comparison between this old garbage we've supposed to have taken off and thrown away and this new man. Man, Paul's going to talk about our mouth. He's going to talk about our attitude. He's going to talk about how we deal with hurts. He's going to walk through just about every relationship in life. What's it look like in a marriage? What's it look like in parenting? What does it look like at work when you have shed this old clothing and you've put on this new man? Because why? Because we want to respond to God in a way that is worthy of who He is. And respond in a way that is worthy of what He has done for us. And so that's what we're going to be looking at. But what I want to kind of conclude with today is not the specific applications of how we do this, because that's what we're going to be looking at. But I want to talk about applying a new mentality, it, kind of preparing our mind, preparing our heart for what we're going to hear over the course of the next couple of months as we continue to work through Ephesians. To become a new and improved person, I think we've got to start with a commitment to study Scripture. We've got to start with a commitment of keeping in front of us what the old and the new look like. And we've got to see that the old doesn't work. I'll tell you why we put on the old. Because we act like animals sometimes. And in this moment right here, that's all I care about is this moment right here. And in this moment right here, I am positive lying will get me out of this. See, my gut, my instinct, the animal in me says, lie! Well, wait a minute, i got God living in me. I have access to the living God. And he says, lying doesn't work. Think about the future. Think about what that does to you. Think about what that does to your relationships. See, an animal doesn't think like that. It says, lying gets me out of this. So we're going to, you know, if I'm going to keep in front of me, because I do forget. I mean, how else do you explain why I'd go over here and put on this nasty clothing again? We've got to keep in front of us a picture of the old, a picture of the new. We've got to keep in front of us the motivation and the challenge to leave the old life and to put on the new. Because it's not easy. It's not easy to walk away from this clothing. It's not always fun to walk away from that clothing. Sometimes it's hard. So we need God's Word. We need to keep it in front of us. Secondly, we need to pray. We need to pray, God, would you make me sensitive to when I'm putting on this nasty clothing? Help me smell it, Lord. Let me see the stains. Because we have the ability to put on this clothing and walk sometimes days, weeks, 
without at all noticing, man, I'm not living at all like a follower of Christ. It doesn't even come to our mind. How do we get that mind? Well, we have the mind of Christ now. Prayer. God, give me the mind that you created me to have. Give me a mind that that sees what I'm doing and says, I don't want that. God, help me to desire the new man, the new life, that new clothing. Give me a passion and a desire for that. We have to go to God for help. The third thing I think we need to do is we need to begin to think critically. And that's what I was talking about a moment ago when I said, take that phrase, what I've learned about Christ. And just start walking through the pieces. Start walking through the days of your life. And just continually ask yourself, is that what I learned about Jesus? Does my mouth represent what I've learned about Jesus? Does the value I'm giving my children, does that represent what I'm learning about Jesus? I've got to learn to think critically. I can't imagine we don't ask ourselves that question a couple of times a week. If not a couple of times a day. Why do we do that? Look at this picture up here. You might remember this from that movie, The Passion of Christ. It's an awful picture, isn't it? That was done because God just incredibly loves you. You're not beautiful. You wear filthy, disgusting clothing. But He loved you. And He provided a way and an opportunity through His Son, Jesus Christ, for you to become beautiful in the eyes of God and to be able to put on a brand new man. And that's what it cost. That's that's what it took. And and, and for you and I to, to take that in and say, I believe in that. I I have placed my life in that. I trust that. For us to bring that into our lives. And then go back over here and put on this clothing. That's wrong. That's, That's not right. Following Him is to show up somewhere. Following Him means there is a different life than who I used to be. A different life than how I used to live. I'm supposed to look different from people out there who don't even know that that was done for them. Why do we go pick up that clothing? Maybe sometimes because we just... We don't know. It's hard to imagine that. I, I, I think whatever we knew, I think that moment we came to understand that that was done for us and we placed our faith and trust in that. I'm pretty sure most of us had in our mind, I think my life is supposed to be different. I'm pretty sure I'm supposed to follow him, live like he would live. But maybe we're just ignorant of what all that looks like and what all that means. Well, folks, I want to show you something. Everything here God has provided for you. He's provided the Bible. This shows me what it looks like. Shows me what the old looks like. Shows me what the new looks like. It helps me learn Christ. So that I know exactly in every situation of my life what it means to live in a way that represents what I have learned about Christ. 
I think another reason that we don't do this is it just is hard. We might even say impossible. Well, guess what? God's provided for that too. It's called the Holy Spirit. We don't have the power to faithfully, effectively, closely follow Him. But the Holy Spirit living in us does. That takes us back to prayer again. I've got to depend upon the Holy Spirit. Help me. Enable me, Holy Spirit. I'm going into a position. I'm going into a place. I'm going into a situation today that I know I've not been very good at showing what I know about you. But I want to today, Lord. I want to today, Holy Spirit. Would you enable me? Would you fill me? Would you control me and enable me to do that? I think probably the... The biggest reason we end up wearing that filthy clothing is because we get demotivated. We follow, but we fail. We fail, we fail a lot. And sometimes we fail in some very bad ways. You know, I don't know about you, but I I tend to kind of... You know, I don't go to places I fail a lot. I don't feel good over there. I don't feel good when I mess up. And so I just kind of, you know, I move away. I don't want to be near those things that I fail. And I think in our desire to follow Christ, we see our failures and we become demotivated and we just stop trying. Well, you know what? God's provided for that too. It's called grace. It's called grace. Grace is what gives us the ability to live and act in a way that is not selfish. Because I'm not doing anything to earn God's approval. I already have it by His grace. I'm not doing anything to pay back for all the wrongs I've done. Jesus has already paid that for me. It's called grace. Grace frees me up. To really live and enjoy and live just to say, I love you. Live to say, thank you. Grace does that. Grace gives me the ability, though I failed today, to go before God and say, you know, Lord, I, I know I messed that up. I know when my family watched me act like that. I know when that person at work saw me do that. There'd be no idea that I was a follower of Jesus Christ. I ashamed you today, Lord. I'm sorry. You know what His grace does? He says, I know, Randy. But I love you. And I forgive you. Let's try again tomorrow. I think that's what Jeremiah was thinking when he said his mercies are new every single morning. Yeah, failure is demotivating. But God has all the forgiveness and all the grace that we need for our failures. I want to live new and improved. Because it works. It works for me. It works for you. But mostly, 
just because He's worth it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before You and we confess to You our sin. And Father, I'm not, I'm not as much thinking of specific sins right now. I'm just thinking of that sin where I have proclaimed my life to be a follower of Jesus. And yet I enter day after day after day after day and don't even think about whether I'm following Him. I don't even think about what I've learned about Him and where that should show up in my life. And because I do bear that name, follower of Jesus, and I do bear that title, Christian, when I go back over there and I put on that nasty clothing, God, I shame you. And I'm sorry for that. I I don't want to do that, Lord. You've done so much. Your love is so great. And God, I want my life to say thank you. I want my life to say, I love you. I want to be a follower of Jesus. Thank you for your word that shows me what it looks like. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that empowers me. And thank you for your forgiveness that lets me start over every day. It's in the name of Jesus Christ that I pray this. Amen.